If you are here this morning and you desire 2023 to look different than 2022 did, I can promise you without a shadow of a doubt, if you lean into God's word this year in a renewed way, if you commit yourself to reading and studying and learning more about it in a renewed way, whether that's reading through the whole thing cover to cover, or whether that's picking and choosing certain sections you want to spend more time learning about and figuring out, or whether that's committing to practicing the practice of memorizing various verses, however that looks, if your life is centered in this written word, it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work you will find in this year God and his goodness through all your trials and your hardships and your challenges and your missteps through your ups and your downs you will find him and find the life he's giving when you seek it in this word hi this is Chris from the point a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. A quick question, and this is not intended in the slightest bit to shame or guilt anybody. Who set out in 2023 to read the Bible every day in a Bible in the year plan? Anyone? How many of you have already missed a day? That's okay. How many of you have tried that in the past and maybe you get through Genesis with a little bit of the generations of this and that and you're like, woof, that was heavy. And you get into Exodus and like, now it's getting confusing and then you get to Leviticus and there's all these thou shalt nots do this and that. And you're like, what am I reading? And then you get to Numbers And it's so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so for page after page after page. Anybody ever been there and tried that? And then you quickly set it aside and said, I'll come back to that later. And three inches of dust later, you have not yet come back to it. This morning, as we continue uh, this year, we're kicking off a new series. One in which we're going to be spending a few weeks talking about God's word. Why is it important to us? If you've ever read any portion of Psalm 119 where we saw that little video, all of Psalm 119 centers around God's word and our life. And later on it says this, your word is a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my path. The whole of the psalm, which is incredibly long, by the way, is a poem all about the value of God's word in our life and the way in which he shapes and forms us to be like him when we spend time with him. But 
what exactly is this word? You see, every religious group, every community of people of faith, even if their faith is really wildly bizarre, has some sort of sacred writings and texts and things they believe are from God and for us in order to understand God. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be diving into our belief as Christians, what is the Word of God, and it may actually, over time, these next couple of weeks, surprise you. How many of you think that this here in my hand is the Word of God? Some of you. How many of you think it's a trick question you're waiting for me to have the other shoe drop? Anyone? I've done that to you before, so it's fair. Right. In many cases, when we think of the Word of God, what comes to our mind is this written Word. And we think of the Bible and, and all of the these and thous and this and that and begats and all the things we don't understand. And, and oftentimes, we like the idea of God's Word, but His Word itself is kind of scary or alarming or just downright uncomfortable. So today, as we begin to look at the written Word, we're going to look at what is this book and why do we believe it? And what is this book for and what does it do in us and for us? And then over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see the way that God's word comes to us not in this book. And if that is a foreign idea to you, come back next week. We're going to begin today in 1 Peter. If you'd like to follow along, it's 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. And that is on page 1,259 if you're using one of the blue Bibles, or feel free to use your phone or your own Bible. In fact, I would encourage you, if you have a physical Bible, even if it's like super dusty and you haven't touched it in a while, uh, consider next week bringing it with so you can read or mark. I write in my Bible. That's acceptable. If you grew up in a tradition where that's not okay, feel free to text in questions about it. But I think you can write notes and mark in it, and that's a good thing, so... I encourage you, next week, dust off your, uh, your personal Bible and bring it, and we'll read together from our Bibles, all right? 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you remember last week, we set out to talk about how in this coming year, you and I can become a new creation, not by self-help and trying harder, but by God and his power in us, we can be transformed to be more like Jesus. Paul, right before this, talks about how we have been, sorry, not Paul, Peter, different apostle. Uh, he talks about how we have been born into a living hope. We've been made new. And he says, because of this new hope that we have, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. You and I are made to be with God to be loved by God, to be provided for by God, to find in God everything we need. I love that song, It Is Well With My Soul. It was written from a place of great pain and anguish by a guy whose business got decimated in the Chicago fires. And so he sent his wife and his children on ahead of them. They were going on vacation to England, and he sent them ahead of him in a boat so he could take care of some of the insurance challenges of all of his business loss. And he received a letter from his wife saying that the boat had crashed and sunk and two of their children didn't make it. 
And later on, as he went to catch up with his wife and remaining children, the captain of the boat said, we just want to let you know this is about the location where your children died. And he penned those words. Look, through all of my pain and all of my sorrow, it is well with my soul because we know the grace we have in Jesus. We know that this world does not define us. Our mistakes do not determine who we are or who we will be. We know that God is one who's abundant in forgiveness. Peter, he writes, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. We often think of holiness as this like better than thou, I'm, I'm good and you're bad sort of thing. Because that's sometimes what people per- portray of holiness. But to be holy quite literally means to be set apart. To be different than everyone else. It does not imply better than, it implies different than. Come as you are. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is set apart, you also be set apart in all your conduct. Live as those who, because of what Christ has done, are different. Not because you've tried hard enough or you've fixed all your mess or your pain, it doesn't exist. Not because suddenly you're not a bad person, but a great person. No, you might still be a bad person, okay? That, like, none of us change overnight. That happens. But live as one who is different, who's called to be different. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. That's a mouthful of Peter's. Here's what he says. You were once far from God and disconnected, and now that you have been brought near, now that Christ has made you new, now that he's given his life for you, because of that, conduct yourselves differently. Live differently. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And then Peter quotes from Isaiah chapter 40. He says, All flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Peter, he's describing this life as one who is made new. And he says, look, 
here's what it comes down to. Because you've been born again, not from anything that can fade away or be stolen from you or be taken from you. No, you've been born again by the precious blood of Jesus because he is giving you new life. He says, look, how is it that you have been given this new life? Through the living and abiding word of God. Oftentimes, when we read this book, sometimes, actually most of the time, it's really tempting in this book to just see a bunch of words on a page. It's ink. It was written a long time ago. We'll talk about when and how it was written here in a moment. But often we think like this is just some old book that I've been told is really good. But the reason why the word of God is important to us in its written form is this word is what reveals to us the goodness of God. This word is not a book of how-tos. It's not intended to tell you how to be a better you, how to fix your mess. It's not intended to tell you how to get out of the problems you've created. This is not a book about making bad people into good people. It's a book all about a God who loves his creation so fully that he would give everything to redeem and restore and make it new. And you and I are among that creation being made new. This is a book about dead people who are dead in their sins being transformed and brought back to life in Christ. Brand new life. It says, look, the word is the good news that was preached to you. Perhaps you've heard the word gospel before. Gospel is what we call the first four books of the New Testament. It was a style of proclamation, quite literally meaning good news. And it was popular at the time there in, in ancient Greece and in Ro Rome. Anytime there would be a new emperor or new leader, that leader would send out messengers who would go forth and proclaim the good news. Behold, we have this leader and this one who leads us will bring us peace and prosperity and blessing even though oftentimes they brought war and famine and higher taxes and burdens. The new leader would arrive and their messengers would go forth and proclaim good news for all the people. And when Jesus arrived, he told his disciples that he was there to proclaim a gospel, good news for all people. And it is not one like that of the Romans, let me convince you I've got it all right. No, it was good news. I am giving everything to restore my broken creation. I've come and I'm coming again. This word reveals to us a God who is not afraid of our messes and our mistakes. A God who's not angry because we got it wrong. This word reveals to us a God who has given and is giving everything for you and me. We're going to flip back to the chapter or to John chapter 20. This written word of God. John, one of the disciples of Jesus, John refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. So clearly, he was really close with Jesus. And after Jesus' resurrection, John writes this. Chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These things are written so that you may believe who God is 
who his son is and what he has done for us so that you may have life in his name. Now, oftentimes I get a lot of people who question the Bible. Now, did you know it's okay to question the Bible? Like everything in here you can question. One of the things that makes us different than most other religions is while this is a sacred text given to us by God, it's just ink on a page. In fact, if you were to talk to a Muslim, uh, they believe the Quran is so sacred and holy and given by God, they will carefully care for their, or their Quran. They'll wrap it up. They'll place it on a shelf so that it's prominent and protected and honored. And they only take it out after having washed their hands when their life is put together for the day and it's time to hear from God. You and I, we believe that this word reveals to us God. But this word by itself is really complicated. Because it didn't come from God speaking and one man writing it down. It, it didn't come from God handing golden tablets to his people saying, here you go, this is what I want you to know. Now this word was written in a much more complex and ordinary way. The complexity is that God used everyday average people, broken and sinful people like you and me, over the course of 1,500 years to write this book. See, the Bible is not just one complete narrative. It is a series of several different books and several different letters and poetry and all kinds of different types of writing all combined together into one anthology of sorts, all of which reveal to us who Jesus is and what he's done and the life he's giving to us now. So how, over the course of 1,500 years and multiple different languages, can we have one consistent narrative and story, and also, can we call it true? See, there's a lot of people who look at the history of the Bible, the fact that ordinary people wrote it, and they say, well, because people wrote it, this word must therefore be flawed and broken. And in doing so, oftentimes, the reason why we say it must be flawed and broken is because there are things in this word that are really challenging and really hard. Right? It can be really challenging to hear that you should forgive your enemy as you've been forgiven. It can be really challenging to hear that you should love those who persecute you. That you should pray for those who persecute you. It can be really challenging to hear that our faith comes not by fixing our mess and making a decision to clean up our life and become a better person but as a gift given to us by a God who loves us. It can be really challenging to hear that our addictions and our habits and our hurts are not what we were made for, but we were made for so much more. And because this book of ordinary writings and ordinary things is at times so challenging, oftentimes people want to pick and choose what is true from this book. So let me tell you how this book came to be. At the time of Jesus, there was already sacred writings that were mutually agreed upon by the Jewish people. In fact, it's pretty sure that the Hebrew books of the Bible, which they have fewer books than we do, but they have the same books we do. And how that works is they actually combine books of the Old Testament. So we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five they actually have as one book, not five books. So if you're reading them, it's interesting to read them as one story and not five separate stories. You'll get something different out of it. 
But the, the Jewish Bible, by the time of Jesus, already had the same 39 books that we have in our Old Testament, just some of them condensed to be a little smaller. And, and these were not only mutually agreed upon, nobody seemed to dispute them. In fact, Jesus regularly in his ministry quoted Old Testament sayings, things written by the prophets or things written uh, by Moses in the, the first five books. Uh, Jesus would often quote them, and the Pharisees and the leaders never argued, that's not God's word. What they argued was, your understanding of God's word is wrong. Your application is wrong. But they all agreed, this is God's word given to us. See, we believe that this word was not God speaking and man writing, but that God somehow inspired those who wrote it, somehow moved through his Holy Spirit that what they wrote was true and accurate, even if at times really challenging. And the early apostles, those who were with Jesus and walked with him, they also not only recognized the Old Testament things as true and God's word, they pretty quickly recognized some of the writings from one another as equal to that of Scripture. Now, I would tell you it would be very dangerous if I stood up here and told you that whatever I write to you in an email on Wednesday is equal to God's Word, okay? Don't, don't believe that for a second. However, we see often in their writings, like from John and from Luke and some of the others, quotations from other writings of the New Testament before this was prevalently known to all people. See, the Bible as we know it officially came to be in the late 300s, so roughly 390 AD, almost 400 years after Jesus. But it didn't come out of thin air. See, even in the days immediately following Jesus' resurrection and ascension to the heaven, they were writing letters to one another to encourage each other. Eyewitnesses like Peter and like John, who had been there with Jesus, were writing to say, this is what we witnessed and what is true. Let me proclaim to you this good news. And those collections of writings were eventually gathered together, and a, a body of believers who were leading the church all across the known world at the time, all across northern Africa, all across Europe, all across Asia, gathered together, and they said, we've all been using these writings. Which ones are actually part of God's word? And they used three main criteria to determine how do we put this book as we now know it together. The first criteria was they just accepted the Old Testament as this is God's word because it always has been. But for the New Testament, they said, in order for the New Testament to be truly God's word, it needs to come from a source that is directly connected to the apostles. Seems to make sense. Let's use eyewitness accounts and people who walked with Jesus to learn from them what Jesus was like and the things he did. And so we get things like Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Do you know only Matthew and John were actually disciples of Jesus? But Mark traveled with Peter and wrote Peter's account. And Luke wrote a whole collection of history after gathering, going around and traveling to the different apostles and the churches and learning. He wrote it all down. And so these four good news proclamations or gospels were direct eyewitness accounts. And then you get Luke's other book, the book of Acts, which is a history. This is what happened after Jesus rose. You get a whole bunch of letters from Paul, who though he didn't walk with Jesus, encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus and became a totally new man. 
And so all of this book came directly from people who walked with Jesus or encountered Jesus directly. So the first criteria for determining what belongs in this is, did it come from an authority who we can say beyond a shadow of a doubt knew what Jesus was all about? Second, they began to ask, well, who's using these texts? You see, in a day and age where they didn't have emails or cell phones or internet, they would often write letters to one another, and then they would share those letters with a bunch of different people. So, for example, if Paul would write a letter to the city of Corinth and the Christians in Corinth, it would be shared publicly with all the people in Corinth, and then it might be passed along to the church down the road and another church in another town, and they just pass it along, hey, this is what Paul has said to us. Now, not every writing is equal, as we know. There are certainly plenty of times where I may write something or you may write something that is not nearly as valuable as, say, an eyewitness account of what actually happened. And so it wasn't just a question of who wrote it that determined what ended up in the Bible as we know it. It was also a question of who used it. If only one tiny little church in the middle of nowhere was using a letter written by Paul, maybe it was from Paul, maybe it wasn't, maybe it's valuable, maybe it's not. But if a lot of different churches all across the region were all collectively using this letter, it gave validity to this probably came from the author we think it came from. Now, in the New Testament, as they were putting this together, I need to warn you, they had questions. Like Part of why we believe questions are valuable is because they're not new. We've always been a people with questions. And so there's a big fancy word, antelegomia, which you don't need to remember. It simply means spoken against. And there were five books in the 29 that make up our New Testament that as they gathered and said, is this valid? They, somebody spoke against those books. Now, ultimately, they decided, here's why we can say these books are still good. But oftentimes, it was things like the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. So is Hebrews from a source that was close to Jesus or not? So somebody raised in the, the discussion, I don't know if Hebrews is actually valid. And they discussed it and they talked about it and said, yes, it still is valid. And here was the third reason for how they determined if things were valid. Is what's written in these books consistent with the things that nobody has spoken against? So we know the Gospels, we all agree these are from people who are eyewitness accounts. Is this consistent with that? We know the Old Testament is from God. Is this consistent with that? So Hebrews and First and Second John and James... Uh, these were all included, even the book of Revelation, uh, these were included even though some people had questions about them because they said the content is consistent with all these other books. So that's how we came to have this book. Now coming back to John's word, he says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then he ends his book in chapter 21 like this. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Some people find and have discovered all sorts of other older writings that claim to be gospels or claim to be from eyewitness accounts, such as perhaps you've heard the Gospel of Thomas. 
Some people say, how come that's not in the Bible? Is that reason why we should say this book isn't true? Because they handpicked and selected the things that they didn't want in there. Well, going back to those three criteria, the Gospel of Thomas, the earliest record we have of it, is from the 700s. So like 300 years after they had already said, here's what we know is to be true. Maybe it came earlier, but we can't verify that it actually came from a source that had been with Jesus. Though Thomas had been with Jesus, we don't know that it came from Thomas. In addition to that, nobody used it prior to the 700s. So it probably wasn't used by the apostles in the early day. And finally, the content of that supposed gospel is completely unlike everything else in the Bible. And so it doesn't fit in the Bible. Now, could some of these other things that have been written contain truth and things that are good? Sure, it's possible. In fact, John says, look, if all the things Jesus did were written down, we would not have enough space to store all the books. I could fill the whole world. So what's written here is not all of Jesus' life and the works that he did, but it is what we need to know in order to meet Jesus, in order for him to be revealed to us, for us to be transformed by his grace and become who he made us to be. We're going to end here with one last bit of scripture from uh, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's what it says, beginning in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, these writings, these things given to us and passed down throughout time and passed down throughout multiple languages, these things given to us are so that we can be made wise for salvation and find life in Jesus. Continues, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you are here this morning and you desire 2023 to look different than 2022 did, I can promise you without a shadow of a doubt, if you lean into God's word this year in a renewed way, if you commit yourself to reading and studying and learning more about it, in a renewed way, whether that's reading through the whole thing cover to cover, or whether that's picking and choosing certain sections you want to spend more time learning about and figuring out, or whether that's committing to practicing the practice of memorizing various verses, however that looks, if your life is centered in this written word, it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You will find in this year God and his goodness through all your trials and your hardships and your challenges and your missteps, through your ups and your downs. You will find him and find the life he's giving when you seek it in this word. Now, one of the ways you can do this, as I mentioned, is studying and learning more. 
There's a series of videos that I wanted to show, but I didn't want to spend 25 minutes this morning showing you some videos. So instead, I'm going to cheat and give you a QR code. If you want to pull out your phone uh, or write this, this uh, link down and go check it out, there's four videos in this series that are really, really helpful in understanding where did the Bible come from, what is in the Bible, and most importantly, what do we do with it on a regular basis? I believe this, uh, the people who produce these videos, the Bible Project, they have a great heart for helping people understand God's Word in a whole new way, and it's an absolutely spectacular use of about 25 minutes of your time, okay? So guys, you could do that today while you're in the restroom. Ladies, it'll probably take you most of the week to find 25 free minutes, um, but if you find it, I encourage you to watch these videos, a great way to dive in and just learn a little more about who God is and what He's done through His Word. So we finish, I just want to encourage you. His word will be a lamp unto your feet. If you find yourself lost and confused and looking for guidance and wondering where are you, God, he will light the way through what has been written. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us this written word in which we may believe God, that these things were written so that we believe and find our life in you. We thank you that your word is profitable. God, that it has guarded us and bought us new. Lord, not with things that are perishable, but with that which is imperishable. We pray that you would teach each one of us to seek you through your word to ask the hard questions, to learn the things we don't yet know, to grow in wisdom for salvation that we can live all of our days set apart, walking with you, and knowing that through the good, through the bad, you are with us. God, today as we pray, we pray for those who need healing in this congregation. We pray for Melissa's mom, Sandy, and healing of her hip. We pray for Deborah's neighbor, Bill, and healing from his burns after the fire that came through their yard. We pray for Tyler's ankle and healing after falling downstairs. God, we pray for those who grieve today, for Chris and for Brian, for Tammy and Melissa, for Kelly and Kylie. We pray for Kaya's brother, that you bring healing from his overdose and freedom from his addiction. God, we pray for those who are hurting and struggling in Ukraine, specifically for Eva's family, that you would guard and keep them from all harm. Help them to see your hand at work providing for them in this difficult time. God, we thank you that we as your people get to come before you with all of our prayers and all of our needs. So Lord, now we pray together as you have taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we continue our worship this morning, we're going to continue by collecting an offering. 
And I need to let you know that things are a little bit different. Maybe you noticed on your way in, maybe you did not, and that's okay if you didn't. You will certainly notice now that I'm mentioning on your way out. Uh, in years past, and I mean years and years, for quite a long time, we've had little popcorn buckets. At one point we passed them, and then at one point we had people in the back holding them. You will notice as you leave, if you're somebody who prefers to give with cash or check, or somebody who filled out a little connect card for ways we can be praying with and for you, you'll notice we do not have the popcorn bucket today. Sorry to disappoint for those of you who really love that popcorn bucket. Uh, in the back as you exit, there are some boxes there on the wall that are locked. You can place your offering or your connect card in those boxes as you go. If you're somebody who prefers to give uh, electronically and you believe that giving is a healthy part of your life and would like to do so online, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. That's also where you can submit a prayer request or anything else you need and this time in a way that we can partner with you in the life God has for you. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Well, every week we invite your questions, and I'll do my best to respond. Uh, for those of you who don't know Steve, this is Steve. Say hi, Steve. Hi. Hi. Yeah, that was a little tricky. It could have been you saying hi to them and them saying hi to well, you. We, I think we all did. Yeah, it was great. Is this working? Can you hear him? Okay. Well, S Steve's going to ask the questions today, and I'll do my best to respond. So, Steve, what, what came in today? Okay, this one says, what was Jesus like as a baby and or a child? Like, did he actually stop climbing on something the first time his parents asked or go to bed without any sass? I'm assuming he did and was perfect, but it's crazy to think about that stage in Jesus's life. Yeah, I find myself often pondering mysteries like that. What does it look like to be a perfect child? Because like there's a measure of that growth and that learning that is healthy, like learning boundaries and separation from your parents, which is super frustrating as the parent who's like, just listen to me. So I, I don't know what Jesus was like. Uh, I can't imagine what a perfect sinless child would be like, but that was him, whatever it meant. So, yeah. Okay, this next one is not a question, just a statement. Good morning, Pastor Adam and Point family watching from home. We love those of you joining us on live stream. Yeah, glad you're there. Okay, this one said, this is a comment also. Please wish Manny Ruiz a very happy 48th birthday. Yeah, happy birthday, Manny. If you don't know Manny, he usually likes to not be up front and be invisible in the back. So he's back there uh, making live stream happen today. So thank you, Manny. We appreciate it. Happy birthday. Okay, I think this is a d difficult question. Can the devil convert to Christianity? No. So the, the thing is, for you and me, God has given us the opportunity of salvation through his son Jesus. And while Jesus died to restore all of creation, he did not die to save all uh, from sin and rebellion against God. Specifically, what I mean by that is his death was for all people, because we were made in God's image, but Satan was a, an angel, not made in God's image, but made to serve and worship God. And when Satan rebelled, there is not hope for him, which is one of the great things for you and me is that there is always hope for us. Okay, this kind of looks like a comment, but there's probably a question in there somewhere. 
says, very interesting about the Gospel of Thomas. I took a comparative religions class in college, and when we were discussing Christianity, the Gospel of Thomas was one of the books that was thrown out when we were deciding which books got into the Bible. Maybe I am remembering it incorrectly. Still, it was a very interesting class. And so, would you please post the link in the comments on Facebook with this video? Yeah, the, the link for the QR code we will post. Um, well, I'll try to figure out how to post. I don't do a whole lot of social media, and Emily is gone this week on vacation, so I will do my best to post it. If not, we'll make sure you get it sometime soon, all right? Um, as far as the Gospel of Thomas, yeah, it was thrown out for a lot of, like, it's not included because we don't have copies of the manuscript, so it could have existed. We don't know. But um, it wasn't included because nothing in the Gospel of Thomas is consistent with any of Scripture. In fact, one of the things that makes the Gospel of Thomas different is in that Gospel, it's very Gnostic, meaning it's about seeking wisdom and special deliverance from this world. And Gnostic uh, beliefs believed that the physical, material world is bad and inherently evil, and one day we will ascend to be purely spiritual beings. And Jesus' resurrection from the dead is completely contrary to that. Like, these bodies matter and will one day rise from the dead. And so uh, that was part of why the content of it said this isn't consistent with the rest of Scripture that says all of God's good creation was later broken and needs restoring. Okay, this last question looks like it may have been the victim of autocorrect. I'm going to read it as it was typed in and then correct what I think it should have been. It says, throughout your theological studies, workbook impacted you the most in regards to transformation. And I believe workbook should actually be which book? It depends on the season. Um, there have been different seasons where different books have spoken to me in different ways and meant different things to me. Um, for a long time, I would say probably three years, I couldn't get enough of the book of Ephesians. It's only six chapters, and I was just consumed with it. It, it meant a lot. Um, and then there was a season where I was all about the book of Genesis, which I think is super cool, and I wish we had more time to spend like just looking at Genesis. Um, I think there's a lot of cool literary things that really transform the story in Genesis. And then it was Colossians. And the thing that's so incredible about this book of God, this word of God, is that it is living and active, that it is always... Um, transforming, and so the more we spend time in it, the more things will stand out and um, really speak to you in a way that perhaps you've read it a hundred times and now you get something different from it. Okay, I believe that is it. There was one more that was there when I was showing you the questions I think you missed. Um, uh -oh. These are all anonymous, so I don't know who sent this in, and so I'm going to speak directly to you, though I, I don't know who you are. It was something along the lines of I've been coming for three months and I've never had somebody say hello to me. And uh, do home, are homeless people welcome in this church? And so if that was your question or if you have ever felt unwelcomed in this church, let me first and foremost say, I'm sorry. You are loved and welcomed and you absolutely belong. And um, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for coming back when you haven't been greeted and welcomed. Uh, the second part of that is, if you're somebody who's here and hates hearing that there have been people who've shown up and not been welcomed, 
Maybe you can join me in looking for people you can say hello to and welcome, and we can collectively be a community that is always with arms wide open for all people, uh, whether homeless or not, saying, we're glad you're here. Um, would you join me in that next week and in future weeks? Uh, there's also something that was texted in to me, like personally, and if you send it to me personally, it's not anonymous. This was a meme, so here you go. The fact that there's a highway to hell and only a stairway to heaven says a lot about anticipated traffic numbers. <laughs> Yikes. Whew. Well, on that lovely note, if you are a Kids Point volunteer or would like to become a Kids Point volunteer, just a reminder that after church here in just a few minutes over in the Kids Point room, we're going to be meeting uh, to learn about some of the wonderful changes and exciting things coming to Kids Point and get ready for that coming back next week. So stick around for that if you are interested. If you are like, kids are not my thing, but I love taking down Christmas decorations two weeks after Christmas. It's been enough time. We are also going to be sticking around to take down the tree and all the decorations, and we would love your help to do that. That would help make it go smoother, so I'm not here super late into the night. Um, thank you for that. As you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.